Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we celebrate as the very last Sunday of the liturgical year, the Feast of Christ the King. Think perhaps of the way that a king would come last in a great formal procession. Think of a procession into Westminster Abbey. You know, the the king or the queen would come last. So this feast comes as a kind of culminating moment of the church year. What I want to do in this sermon today is explore three dimensions of Christ's kingship inspired by each of our three readings for today. So three different ways of looking at what this means. You know, right away, I've said this before, but we Americans and we Westerners in general tend to react against the idea of of kingship. We don't really like kings. You know, we got rid of a king and established a, a presidency in our country and we uh, have elections, et cetera, et cetera. But there's something very important that Christ is called not a president, but a king. And let me try to get at that now by looking at three different themes from these readings. First reading is taken from the second book of Samuel. And that's a text rather uh, dear to my heart because I dedicated actually a few years of my life to reading it very carefully. I wrote a commentary on 2 Samuel. The setting is Hebron, a city in the southern section of ancient Israel. That's where David had set up his stronghold. So during the long civil war with Saul and the family of Saul, David consolidates his power, uh, attracts to himself a number of kind of outsiders and outliers, people that were uneasy with Saul for different reasons. And in the wake of Saul's death, he sets up his his, uh, stronghold there in Hebron. Well, after seven years down there, finally representatives from the northern tribes of Israel come to him and announce that they're willing to place themselves under his lordship. And we hear them speak in the reading today. Here we are, your bone and your flesh. Well, with that, David became the unifying force for the entire nation. He united all the tribes of Israel. And very interestingly, he chooses a city, Jerusalem, which he had newly conquered. And it was kind of halfway between north and south. It was his way of saying, here's my capital city, which will unite the whole nation. Well, here's the first key aspect of Christ's kingship. Christ is the new David. It's a very important title, isn't it, throughout the New Testament? He's the new David who unites the tribes. First of all, the tribes of Israel. The northern tribes had been exiled during the Assyrian captivity. Then the southern tribes exiled during the Babylonian captivity. Israel had been scattered. Jesus arrives as the new David announcing a kingdom of God, which meant 
the coming together of the tribes of Israel. Now, what becomes clear in the wake of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that he is to be the gatherer not just of the tribes of Israel, but all the tribes of the world. Mount Zion, the true pole of the earth, that's the Old Testament idea, the temple. Well, Christ is the new temple, crucified on Mount Zion. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. And as St. Paul pointed out, to be part of the church, this gathered body, is to be a member of Christ's mystical body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Do you see what was foreshadowed in the gathering of the tribes at Hebron now comes to fulfillment in the new David, in Jesus, as through the church he gathers the whole world to himself. One of my favorite uh, Catholic theologians from the 19th century, a man named Johann Adam Müller, recommend him to you, by the way, if you can find his text. But he famously reflected on the necessity of a symbol of unity in any community. That's why, for example, a city needs a mayor. It needs a, a figure who symbolizes and affects the unity of the city. It's why a country needs a president. Why a local church requires a bishop. What's the bishop's job? Well, to administrate and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, his task is to be the symbolic unifier of the people. It's the argument that Mueller made in the 19th century against his Protestant uh, adversaries for the necessity of a pope. There should be one figure to symbolize the unity of the whole church. Okay, Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, is the new David, the king of kings, the ultimate source of our unity the one in whom the whole world is meant to come together. So there's the first aspect of his kingship. Now, look at the second reading, taken from the magnificent letter of Paul to the Colossians. Again, you could read that easily in one sitting. I recommend it to you strongly. Sit down and prayerfully read the whole letter to the Colossians. But what we find in our passage for today is a hymn of praise to the cosmic Christ and to the warrior Christ, if I can put it that way. Paul affirms that this Jesus from Nazareth, this very particular figure, is nevertheless the one in whom all things find their meaning and purpose. Human beings, yes, but even the elements of the cosmos. In him all things find their meaning and purpose. Moreover, Paul affirms that through this Christ, a great battle has been won and a great exchange effected. Listen now to Paul. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, it's a really, really interesting line, and don't let your mind just, just ride over it. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom 
of his beloved son. See, what's being implied here, everybody, is that like all of Israel's kings, Jesus was a warrior. But he did battle not just with earthly political and military forces. Rather, he took on all forms of dysfunction, violence, hatred, aggression, stupidity. He confronted them on the cross. Like David going naked out to confront Goliath. So Jesus, naked on the cross, faces down the powers of the world. But he swallows them up. How? How? First, through the power of the divine forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In other words, there's no sin that God is incapable of forgiving. But then press it further. Through the power of the resurrection, we know that God's love is more powerful than sin, than violence, than cruelty, than injustice, than death itself, more powerful than anything that is in the world. We've been held captive to these dark powers. Now think of that in political terms and military terms and so on held captive to these powers of cruelty, hatred, oppression, violence, but ultimately held captive to the power of death itself. But now the warrior king has fought the good fight, has taken us back, has transferred us from one domain to another. Extraordinary thing. Don't look at the cross of Jesus simply as, oh, this nice symbol of the way I ought to behave. It's something much more dramatic than that. It's the means by which God effected a, a transfer from one kingdom to another. Okay? And now the gospel and a third and decisive theme regarding Jesus' kingship. Yes, he's the one who unites the tribes of the world. Yes, He's the warrior who effectively transfers us from one dimension of reality to another. But here's the third point now. What a strange and surprising king he is. Given what he accomplished, one would think he'd be a king in a worldly way or some mighty cosmic power appearing in all of his might, like some you know figure from one of his contemporary movies. One would think he'd be surrounded in majesty, pomp, circumstance, and glory. But in John's gospel, which we hear from now uh, in our gospel reading, we see precisely how the king appeared. Above him, it says, was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. The sign written in three major languages of that time and place was put over the cross. Nothing in the ancient world was more shameful, more ignominious, more embarrassing, more painful than a Roman cross. The absolutely last place in the world you would look for a king would be a cross. And that's why that sign was put there as a joke. And yet... That's where the uniter of the tribes of the world 
That's where the cosmic warrior reigned. What could it possibly mean? And indeed, that was the question that bedeviled both the earliest proclaimers and the hearers of the Christian message. That's why, you know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, why would you be ashamed? Well, because this was the message. The point, and still, still breathtaking and counterintuitive after all these centuries, is that real kingly power lies in God's self-emptying love. The force that draws together the whole world in unity is not the force of arms or of political authority. Rather, it's the power of the divine love. Listen, the force that is great enough to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is not one of the elemental powers. It's the love of God made visible on the cross of Jesus. To get this rather sublime jest is to get the feast of Christ the King. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.